Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. Did you hear um, Marvelous Marvin Hagler has uh, passed away? Oh, no. Yeah. A little bit before his time as well. I don't think he was that old. Like, he was he was fighting in the 80s. Yeah, 66 years old. 66, yeah. Eesh. No cause of death, but then um, wouldn't expect them to... Uh, put stuff out like that necessarily it's it's bad enough that they're having to let the world know that he's uh he's passed away but that's that's a shock at that kind of age you know even for a boxer um right yeah i mean you're used to wrestlers passing away at at that kind of age and younger but that's that's a big one that's a big one it's been a while since we lost anyone from boxing that was like a, a huge name i'm trying to think if there was anyone since muhammad ali i can't off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone. I'm probably doing somebody a massive disservice there. But I, I'm I'm not the biggest expert on boxing. I like it. I I know more about the the ins and outs of the actual sport itself rather than the history of the people involved with it. But yeah, yeah. The, my one of the things that I always thought is interesting about boxing is like there was a, there was a time where boxing I think was extremely popular, especially around that time. Yeah. And it's fallen off. I don't think boxing is as popular. Obviously MMA is like the bigger thing nowadays, mm-hmm. but something that I think I was always really fascinated about because it feels like boxing isn't as big as it was. Um, I, whenever I watch the Creed movies, yeah. My interpretation of the Creed movies is that they exist in a world in which the Rocky movies happen. Oh, and really? so when you see those the the fights in that uh in that movie uh and they're so big and epic and they have these insane elaborate entrances and you're like yeah cuz this is a world where the Rocky movies happen in real life. <laughs> Oh, so so in this interpretation so, of reality, the Rocky movies were like documentary movies of what actually happened in no, reality. No, they were like they were they were boxing events that people ordered on pay per view. Oh, so the movies didn't take place; the actual real life events. Yeah, of course they did. Yeah, because it's right. it's a shared so, universe with with the Rocky movies. I mean, right. Rocky so literally you, is so, his trainer. So people <laughs> love boxing because all of those things happened in real life. Yeah, of course. Of course. Like the height of boxing is, is Rocky uh, coming to the fore and uh, winning against all of the odds and defending America's pride against uh, Ivan Drago and fuck knows how many other uh, fights, you know, like the Tommy Gunn fight as well. Like, man, yeah. That's why, like, I forget, I forget what the name of the guy is, but like when, when, when Creed goes and fights, um, the the british boxer at the end and that fight takes place like it like on a football field tony bellew and... i think it was what i think it was tony bellew yeah but what was what was the character's name though i forget what oh, his name was he was. playing a different character to who he actually was hang on a second then i'll do it as soon as you say it uh creed tony bellew Let's have a look at what he's credited as on this. 
do 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 creed film cast ricky conlon that's right yeah. yeah i don't know why they didn't just have him play anthony bellew to be honest I don't know. I think I, I remember because I remember thinking Ricky Conlon was a cool name and a cool character. But mm, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, so uh, that his like it's they, they do it on this big football field and he has this big elaborate entrance with like pyro and dancers. And it's like yeah. amazing. And I'm like, yeah, because like boxing is a big spectacle sport because the Rocky like movies happened in real life in this reality so like yeah of course boxing is fucking huge i think the the funny thing is though like i had no problem whatsoever believing that if that fight took place in the uk in real life that it would end up being that kind of spectacle especially if they held it at, at everton's home ground and the main event was a boxer who was from liverpool who was a massive everton fan as tony bellew is you know like um that shit happens like the um we, we had a fight between two unlicensed at the time boxers um i think david hay was one of them and i can't remember who the other guy was he was a bit of a kind of middling journeyman but they they both had this really kind of bad feud with each other and there were some licensing issues with one of them if not both at the time and it got held i think at wembley stadium big fucking stadium and they filled that thing out. Like Brit- boxing in Britain is still a big sport when you get the big names involved. Mm. Unfortunately, and I think part of the reason why boxing fell off as much as it did when it did is because the heavyweight scene will always be the big money scene. It's going to be the scene that really drives boxing and makes it popular. Um, as much as the the lighter, smaller guys are an absolutely wonderful spectacle to see fighting. You know, if you look at some of the guys like Floyd Mayweather or Ricky Hatton, um, going back to Sugar Ray Leonard or, you know, any of these guys, they're fantastic boxers, but they're not the ticket sellers. The ones that, and and some people will cry foul on that because um, you look at um, Floyd Mayweather and he is arguably one of the top earners. Well, it's not arguable. I think he is one of the top earners ever in the sport of boxing. Um, but traditionally speaking, it's always been the heavyweight boxers that have drawn the big crowds. And during the late eight, late 90s and throughout the 2000s, heavyweight boxing was dominated by the, uh, the Klitschko brothers. And it became such a boring sport because everybody knew who was going to win. It was going to be a Klitschko that won. And the only time that we ever got any kind of respite from that was when Lennox Lewis was world heavyweight champion. And even then, unfortunately, and I love Lennox Lewis, but Lewis was such a dry personality and such an uninspiring boxer to watch. He was fantastic at what he did, but he wasn't a fighter. He was a boxer. He would hold people at range. He'd win behind his jab. He would uh, do what he needed to do to win the fight. And with the exception of a shock loss against a... I want to say he was a New Zealander, but I can't remember his name off the top of my head. It was during the filming for one of the um, Oceans movies. Um, and he had a, a bit part in it, I think, if I'm remembering that correctly. And he basically took the guy too lightly and ended up losing the fight and his heavyweight championship. He won it on the rematch. But, you know, he, even even Lennox Lewis, as an alternative to the Klitschko's, wasn't appetizing enough to get people back in. He wasn't a Mike Tyson. He wasn't even a Frank Bruno, you know? Yeah, and and I think 
Tyson Fury is the closest thing, honestly, that we have today to a heavyweight boxer who could draw massive crowds. Because I think that he has seen what has happened in MMA with, um, I'm forgetting his name now, uh, McGregor. Like how McGregor has been such a divisive personality, but how he has absolutely sold out UFC fights whenever he's taken part. And he kind of realized, oh, do you know what? I should just be a bit of an ass. And people won't necessarily love me. They'll either love me or they'll hate me. But either way, they'll pay to watch me either beat somebody or get beaten. And that's what Muhammad Ali had down, you know? Like when Muhammad Ali was at the top of his game, you either absolutely adored him or you detested him. But either way, you were going to watch his fight because you wanted to see one of two things happen. And that just doesn't really happen these days in boxing. Um, but I, I think you're spot on with that. I think the the reason why boxing is perceived to be a much bigger sport in the reality of Rocky and Creed is because Rocky was a heavyweight champion and he he was so inspirational as a champion. But also you've got to remember that Stallone absolutely loves boxing. And so any movie that he's involved with that has boxing involved in it it's going to glorify that sport and it's going to make yeah. it out to be a really successful sport. So yes, it is because Rocky was a successful boxer in that era, but also it's probably because Sylvester Stallone gets to say how popular boxing is. And if you're making a boxing movie, it should be a popular sport. So yeah, there you go. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, hello everybody Wonder who's vision. listening to us. Uh <laughs> As is per usual, we don't normally do an intro at the top of the show. We just start talking about random crap and then find our way in. And now we have. So uh, as people will probably be able to tell from the title of the episode, because I do love a pun and I haven't quite worked out what it is yet, but it should be obvious from the title. Um, Me and Tyler, who you will have heard very briefly because I was waffling on as per usual, uh, we're going to talk about WandaVision, which finished up about a week and change ago on Disney+. Plus. Nine episodes uh, were aired over the course of nine weeks. And I've got to say, Tyler, I think the appointment television is back. Yes, especially when it could get this much traction at three o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. Jesus, yeah, exactly. Like, you know that something is successful when people are legitimately getting up. I've heard so many anecdotes of people saying, I'm getting up an hour earlier in the morning so that I can watch it before I go to work. Or, you know, before before it gets spoiled for me by uh, Europeans who have already been able to watch it because they get up earlier than we do. You know, that, there's so many people that have said stuff like that. And it's so rare. Like, I, I know Game of Thrones was probably an exception to the rule, but I can't think of another show which has been so entrenched in this idea of appointment tv you know the idea that you have to watch it at a certain time on a certain release date in order to be able to talk about it with others i guess westworld might be that as well but i'm really struggling to think of anything else and of course it's it's marvel that have done it you know disney and marvel have found a way to make appointment tv cool again and get everybody watching something week in week out even i couldn't resist and like i i i have been very very open about the fact that i loved uh, star trek discovery i did not watch it week in week out as it was releasing i waited until the final episode was due to come out and then i started binging it 
because I don't have the patience to... It's a weird thing. I have the patience to not watch something for weeks on end, but I don't have the patience to watch it and then wait a week for another episode if I'm really enjoying it. I do with WandaVision. It's it's an exception for me. and it, Again, it's just... It would be Marvel, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's always fucking Marvel that seems to manage this. I don't know how they're so good at it. So I've been watching a lot of uh, – they put up a whole uh, behind-the-scenes documentary up on Disney Plus uh, in lieu of a new episode this week between this and Falcon and the Winter Soldier starting up. And watching that and listening to showrunner Jack Schaefer and director Matt Shackman, who directed every episode of the show, talk about it. Um, it's really – it just really seems to me like Marvel is um, – a studio that like despite what you would assume is very very like creator friendly Mm. and the things that they were talking about is how much like it seems like they kind of just let you do your own thing without too much interference unless it's something you're doing would interfere with something else that's happening but like basically like you whatever they established in this show if that's something that's going to be used going forward, they kind of set the framework for it here. Yeah. So it's, it's, it was interesting to hear them talk about how much freedom they have to it and how much fun they had making it. And it just seems like everyone like involved in this, like really genuinely had a great time making it. And I think that that's a big difference maker. Um, but I also think that Kevin Faggy is just very good at knowing what people like and mm. what they want to see. And, it's shocking to me that he's been able to be the producer behind so many of these different projects. And regardless of if it's of its tone or the actor who's at the lead of it or the character that's at the lead of it, uh, there just always seems to be this like positive reaction since he's mm-hmm. really like been in charge of things. Well, I think we've we've spoken before, haven't we, about the fact that Marvel have built up a lot of goodwill to the point that they're yeah. able to put out these projects that people might otherwise have uh, batted an eye at, like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, which, of course, Felipe was massively into from the get-go because one of his main characters in Marvel vs. Capcom is Rocket Raccoon. Uh, and I think he did actually read the comic books as well before then, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that like Marvel vs. Capcom was a big, um, a big thing in, in him being into those characters. Uh, but because they have that, uh, amount of goodwill built up they're able to take risks and they're able to do things outside of the norm and like WandaVision is definitely that like you, you said about the fact that they were able to do things that are a bit of a risk and you know they're able to do different things like the beauty of this particular show was the fact that for the first three or four episodes they were able to make completely disparate pieces of tv but they were able to link them together with an overall storyline. You know, like the fact that the first episode is like a 1950s or 1940s um, uh, comedy uh, sitcom, and then uh, you move through the decades one episode at a time, eventually landing in the 90s where suddenly everything looks like uh, Malcolm in the Middle. Sorry, that was the 2000s episode. Um, yeah. but you know, it, it allows them to have so many different looks, so many different types of comedy being told, uh, from the filmed in front of a live studio audience style of the, I love Lucy and Be- bewitched, um, first episode 
all the way through to the fourth wall breaking my family slash Malcolm in the middle um, kind of episode that they had nearer the end. Uh, it gave them so much freedom to be able to tell stories in so many different ways and to really flex those muscles. And what I really enjoyed about it was the performances by Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, who were able to, almost on a weekly basis, give us these completely different interpretations of what were essentially the same character. Right. The craziest thing that I think they managed to pull off in all of the different acting styles that they did and all the different costumes and makeup that they were wearing is that their performances were vastly different based on the decade that they were they were kind of uh, sending up in Mm -hmm. that episode. Well, also, at the same time, felt like the same characters the whole time. I yep. never felt watching from one episode to the next that these characters were any different. And maybe it helps that it's a gradual change from one decade to the next where the the, the next decade isn't too different from the previous decade. But it's different enough that mm. you can kind of work in to the next thing. But genuinely, I think it's in, insanely impressive how uh, they were able to pull that off and – feel like they were the same people whether they were in or out of the sitcom or if they were questioning what was going on they never felt like they were like oh yes i'm a completely different character this week because we're in a different style of show Hmm. yeah no i completely agree also on top of that you've got the outside of the sitcom moments of the show and they they pull this really cool trick, which I know a lot of the YouTube channels uh, like Emergency Awesome and uh, and uh, channels like that have, have remarked on. I'm sure everybody who's been on YouTube in the last couple of months has seen all of these videos entitled 83 Easter Eggs from Episode 8 <laughs> of WandaVision. And I'm like, how can you have that many Easter Eggs? But somehow they managed to squeeze them all out. Um, there's uh, a moment, not in the first episode, because what I really like about episode one is that they completely, um, they go all in on the sitcom idea. They do not break from it for a second. From beginning to end, it is just a sitcom. And then the second episode is where we get the break into reality. We get, yeah, well, and then we get a little bit of the reality so so essentially what they kind of talked about here is that like the first episode, which was very much inspired by Dick Van Dyke. And mm, yeah, in fact, Dick Van Dyke was actually a creative consultant on the show as well. Yeah. Uh, they had a meeting with him before the first episode and the first episode of this show, not as you mentioned, was shot in front of a live studio audience, but was also entirely period accurate to a 50 sitcom. They mm. shot it like a 50 sitcom. Yep. Everyone was dressed uh, like a 50 sitcom. The audience was dressed like the 50 sitcom and their seats were also like they would have in a 50 sitcom. I mean, that's the commitment. entire thing from top to bottom was literally a 50 sitcom. That is ridiculous. I wasn't aware that yeah. the audience were dressed as a 50s audience as well. Yeah, their seats, they weren't even there. The seats were like wooden seats with little cushions on them and they were literally in period appropriate. That <laughs> and so was the crew who rid- worked on the show. Ridiculous. Like when yeah. you've got when you've got Disney money flying around, you can do what the fuck you want. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, they did. They wanted to be a hundred percent period accurate because they really wanted it to feel like that. And they they succeeded. Uh, the thing that was really interesting is like it's it's obviously there's this sitcom thing. There's there's two styles, and I feel like the second one doesn't get brought up as much. But the two styles of the show is one 
there's um, the uh, the sitcoms, which are uh, going with a decade, decade to decade, sends up send ups, but very much not parodies, but like send up and homages to a specific decade of sitcoms. Um, and also the Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah. And the fact that every once in a while the sitcom reality would break in some way or something weird would happen that would offset the um the the idyllic sitcom world that Wanda had created mm. and in the first episode everything is shot in front of a live studio audience there's only the, there's a small bit that I think definitely wasn't and that's when um Mrs. Hart is doing that stop it, stop it thing over and over. The uh, awesome Deborah uh, Rajap, who, um, Deborah, excuse me, Deborah Jo Rupp, yeah, uh, who, um, she's doing this like stop it, stop it, stop it thing. And you can see that there are shots during that sequence where you can see the fourth wall that yeah. would usually be where the, the audience would be. Mm hmm. And it's a small thing, but like that little weird break in what a reality and what a sitcom looks like, because you never see an angle from that shot unless this weird thing where the sitcom reality kind of disappears for a bit. Yeah. And then it comes back at the end. And it, and once again, it looks and feels like a sitcom, but for a little bit, it kind of feels like the Twilight Zone. Uh, and each episode kind of has these little moments of like, what is going on? What is this weird thing that I think is what really captured an audience for the show? Because I don't think people were excited necessarily about a show following Wanda and division because they weren't very large parts of the show of, of the movies. They would, they would appear in little moments in each of the mm -hmm. movies. They've never had their own thing that they were a part of. And then suddenly the first Marvel show is this. And after a year of not getting anything, I think people wanted to see something from Marvel and maybe gave it the benefit of the doubt. And I think a lot of people watching the first episode were on the fence about it, even the second one too. But the weird stuff is, I think, what captured people hmm. because the stuff that was like, but what is happening? Because this is very weird and it's a weird concept in general. But then you, you throw in these weird spooky moments that are like, wait, what? Yeah. What is happening right now? It throws you off just enough to make you be like, oh, I got to see the next episode because I want to know what happens next. Mm, definitely, definitely. Like, I, I would disagree somewhat with uh, one point that you made uh, about the fact that people weren't necessarily excited for WandaVision. I, I think the general audience weren't necessarily excited for it. But I think that anyone like you and me who is yeah. uh, a little bit more keyed into what Marvel was and where right. they take their inspirations from, like a lot of us would have... I was have... extremely excited about it. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just saying, like a lot of us would have seen the trailer for WandaVision that was essentially Elizabeth Olsen talking about the history of the Scarlet Witch in the comics. Yeah. And, you know, that got us excited because she acknowledged uh, a few things like I think House of M was brought up very briefly. Um, but like generally speaking, it touched a lot of uh, of parts of the character that I think we've been wanting to get to for a while. But also, uh, and again, thanks to these YouTube channels like Emergency Awesome, 
you have a lot of speculation and a lot of news which has already come through about how the future of the Marvel Universe is already being planned and to, taking shape. And one of those plans, of course, was the fact that it's already been mentioned that there's kind of an informal trilogy taking place between WandaVision, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man uh, No Way Home, I think it's called now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so like, there's a lot of people that were immediately thinking to themselves, okay, so WandaVision has implications for those films. What could it be? And of course, one of the things that a lot of people assumed was that WandaVision was going to be the backdoor into the Marvel Universe for uh, the X-Men and mutants in general, something which we will get to, but didn't really end up happening. Um, something that I, I did want to get to, and then we, we kind of kind of we went a little bit sideways on it, is um, the the other aspect of the show, which only really rears its head from episode two onwards, and that's the idea that reality is shown in a much more traditional cinematic sense in that the aspect ratio changes whenever we're in the real world. It changes to a widescreen format. Um, the colours are a lot more... Maybe it's because the first two episodes were black and white, but the colours feel a lot more cinematic as well. Like the cinematography and the lighting, like the DP on um, on, on the real-life uh, scenes earned his money. Really did. Very well lit. Uh, lit. Um, very moody in places. Um, and so you get this real feeling of distinction between Wanda's world and the real world. And that is something, obviously, that the entire series plays off of. But I, I'm i glad that you brought up that whole kind of almost like Twilight Zone-ish aspect to it because there are moments throughout this show where things just take a slight weird turn. And sometimes it is really worryingly scary almost, like the Ooh. stop it moment where um, Deborah Jo Rupp's husband is choking and nobody's helping him and she's just laughing and saying stop it stop it and then by the end of it it's almost like she's pleading Wanda to stop it but is she asking her to stop him from choking or is she talking about something else which is something Ooh. obviously that we get into um mm, that's an interesting take on that I like that yeah I mean I think it, it's both ways I think it is her begging for them to help the husband but also I, I think that it's part of her psyche managing to somehow break free and say please stop what you're doing the problem for Wanda is that at that moment she has no idea that she's doing anything because yeah. this entire series is essentially about Wanda dealing with the grief of losing vision and losing almost everything um, and most of these episodes actually represent individual steps of grief whether it be anger or acceptance you know there's there, there's always something in an episode which uh, points and normally it's the adverts that point yeah. to one of the stages of grief and the fact that she's working through it. Yeah, uh, this is, I, I think that's one of the most interesting things. Something that I, uh, it was fun hearing once the show was over, but I think would have been an interesting thing to hear even before the show started was that the bad guy of the show is her trauma. Like it's her grief and, and the thing that she's going through. It's not mm. so much agatha as it turns out to be uh they were like that's the real bad guy and if anything 
uh, Agatha is almost an ally in the fact that she is actually helping her through, <laughs> like, to confront some of these things from her past that she's actively been trying to hide from. Mm. Um, and that's really what this show is. This show is an insanely powerful witch accidentally creating a way for her to completely get rid of her problems. She uh, creates a, a different world so that she does not have to think about all of the terrible things that have happened in her life and everything is fine. And uh, it's somebody who really needs to, you know, deal with her, her past traumas and, confront them in a healthy way and she does it in a very unhealthy way and that's really the bad guy of the show mm, yeah definitely um i mean that there are that there's definitely an argument that agatha is is more of the traditional kind of uh bad guy certainly that's yeah. how the the final episode ends up setting her up i think long term that's not going to be the case uh i i'm not massively familiar with agatha harkness so i had to look into her history and from what I can tell, she is more of a mentor to yeah. uh, to Wanda than an adversary. So I think long term, she's going to end up coming back and it's going to be as uh, a confidant or, or an advisor to Wanda, um, probably off of the back of whatever happens in Doctor Strange. But we're, we're yet to really know what Doctor Strange... I mean, the, the subtitle for Doctor Strange is Multiverse of Madness which again gives a lot of hope to people that potentially that could be where the X-Men are going to kind of start to work their way out of the, um, out of the woodwork, but it might still be a little bit too soon for any concrete plans. I I think if we do see anything of mutant kind in the next few movies, it's going to be more or less just a, a little, nod to the fact that they're that they exist rather than oh my god there's a guy with lasers that comes out of his eyes and there's a dude that's turned furry and blue you know like i I don't think they're going to be that on the nose with it um but i uh i i think that grief is absolutely one of the the big issues of this show and it is definitely a massive adversary and could be termed as the villain um, Wanda is in essence both the heroine and the uh, the the villain of the piece. It's just that she isn't aware of what she's doing, and, and unfortunately, there is a point during this where she becomes aware of what she's doing, and she just kind of doesn't care because she's happy in the world that she's created, and it's completely understandable. I don't think that anyone, if they well, put their I hand think, on their heart... I, I don't think she realizes until the last episode. Um, she knows what she's doing. She, like, knows that she's created this fake world. And she's forgotten kind of what's going on. Mm. But, like, she doesn't realize that she's causing pain to these people. And that like how terrible the thing is that she's doing. I don't think she realizes that until the end. I think she thought it was okay. She didn't even realize that they were not the people that she thought they were. Like when she sees uh, Sarah Proctor, interesting name (laughs) for a character in this show. But uh, one is like Dottie and she's like, my name is Sarah. Actually, it's not Dottie, a name that 
you made up and gave me and made me pretend it was me for, yeah. you know, yeah. like I was forced to be this different person. And it wasn't something that I don't think she, she knew she was doing until then. And then I think she felt really bad about it. I, but, don't, I don't know. I, I, I think, yeah. that, I think subconsciously she knows exactly what she's doing and she's pushing it away because there is a point where fairly early on, actually, I think it's the third or fourth episode they're in the 70s by then um where she essentially ends up ejecting um i'm trying to remember the name of the character now monica she she ejects monica from this world that she's created um someone pointed out that she forces monica through four separate walls on the way out so she breaks the fourth wall uh, in order to eject her from the world um and and like in that moment she is fully conscious and aware of what she's doing and the fact that this world isn't real and that she's ejecting somebody from it but again like i i think that this is where grief comes in and where the mind protects itself because i don't think that she is able to retain the knowledge for very long before she puts the defensive walls back up and convinces herself that everything's okay again like yeah i think i think at that point from that 70s moment on again i don't think she understands or realizes how much she is hurting these people by doing this or what exactly she's doing to them yeah. but i think she is aware that she did this and she's responsible for it and that she wants to continue doing it because she thinks it's fine. And she's oh, absolutely. I think deep down. I think like you said, the, the mind trying to, to protect itself. I think deep down, she knows it's wrong and deep down she knows it's bad, but mm. she's like hiding. She's like trying to suppress those feelings because she, she doesn't want to literally the whole reason this thing happened was because she does not want to uh, confront this yeah. <laughs> she does not want to deal with this well, she doesn't want to think about it, the horrible thing that she's done she doesn't want to, to confront it and deal with it and so she is she, i think you're from the 70 point on from the moment she breaks out and she sends um uh monica out of the reality i think she knows at that point that it's not the, like what's going on but uh that she's continuing to try to like suppress the uh the reality still but I think deep down she knows. And I think that's maybe why things start to really fall apart as they get um, – as they go along because now it goes from her subconsciously controlling like – not controlling it because she's not controlling it. Mm. Um, but like suddenly I think the more she has to actually think about it and worry about it, the – harder it is for her to maintain this yeah as, um, as it becomes illusion. as it becomes less reflexive and more reactive like she she yeah. starts to lose control of it because it becomes more of a strain on her absolutely like i i think even in that final episode there's a moment where she tries to convince herself and those around her that she's given them a better life you know she's she's almost like saying well look aren't you all happy with the lives that i've given you where you don't have to worry about anything and you know, you've all you're all living better versions of your own lives. I think is essentially what she's getting at. Um, mm -hmm. Like, there's a um, there's there's a moment in that episode where it flashes back to her arriving in Westview for the first time when she's driving to the house and she drives past everyone, including Deborah Joe Rupp, and 
every single one of those people is living a miserable existence, whether it's the guy putting up a poster for piano lessons or, you know, tutoring, um, or whether it's the uh, the fact that Deborah Jo Rupp is just stand- sitting there by herself outside of a coffee shop, obviously upset about something, but we never know, find out quite what. Like everybody is living a worse life, um, a worse version of the life than the one that she gives them, and that's how she justifies uh, the fact that she's done what she's done to them because she feels that she's actually given them a a better life. Unfortunately, the problem is is that she's given them no control over their own lives and if there's anything that the matrix has taught us it's that people don't like it when they have no control over their own lives and more specifically when everything is perfect we suspect very quickly when things are perfect that something is wrong um it's not human human nature is to suffer i think is is something that a lot of these things get at one of the things that was really interesting the last episode was when they say She's when she's saying that argument, but like, it, but everything was good. Like, I did a, I made a, you guys' lives better. And one of the residents says, like, we have your nightmares. And I, and then she's like, no, it's like one of those yeah. things. Right? I think she realizes, like, oh fuck, because she is in so much pain all the time. The fact that she realizes, oh, all this pain I am in, I am putting on to mm. these people is so upsetting to her because she realizes how bad all of that is. Yeah. And so I, I always thought that was interesting that she's very upset because of how much pain she's caused them just because she knows that it's her pain. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Cause who knows uh, someone's pain better than the person that's suffering that pain themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I, I, I think that this show is is really, really well done in terms of how it explores all of those uh, aspects, um, and and there's an awful lot of stuff to unpack where it comes to Wanda and and what she's been through. Um, I there are some moments which are brilliant, like the moment where she looks around and Vision is standing there looking like a a corpse with paler skin and a massive hole in his head and fogged over eyes. Mm. Um, one thing that I wasn't a big fan of, uh, and, and we knew that I had to get to it eventually. Um, I look, I, I like Evan Peters a lot. I think he's a great actor. He's brilliant in the X Men films, and I was very happy to see him as uh, Pietro in this. But it feels so fucking cheap what they ended up doing with him, um, and and very much unlike marvel in how they used him because i i don't mind there there's there's something that i can actually um mention in in relation to this the casting of, of somebody else within the show i'm trying to find her name because i can't remember it in the moment but she played anya in um in buffy the vampire slayer she's actually uh, dotty oh, in in this yeah, show yeah sarah oh, um, emma caulfield that's it. Yeah. It's just come to me. Um, now, she was cast in the show, and a lot of people have submitted that the reason that she was cast in the show is because they, a lot of people would have suspected that there was some kind of demonic presence within Westview, um, or Westfield. I can't remember the name of the place now. Westview, yeah. Westview. Um, some people have said that it could be uh, an entity known as Nightmare, 
which is more of a Doctor Strange uh, bad guy kind of. Uh, the idea of the character is basically um, <laughs> what you would imagine from the name of the character. Um, there were it's, it's Freddy Krueger. Kind of, yeah. Um, th- there are there are other theories about characters that may uh, that that might have featured in this show that didn't come to pass, um, but all of them were demonic. And so the idea was that by casting Emma Caulfield, who is probably best known for playing a demon in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that people were going to put two and two together and make five and assume that she was somehow the bad guy. Especially when you put into point of view the fact that very early on they're having a PTA meeting and uh, I, I think it's Agatha that says it. She says, nothing happens in this town without dotty's say so like basically making her out to be like the the kingpin of the community um and i think there's a line somewhere along the line of you know the devil's in the detail and someone else says the devil might be closer um so it's, it's basically that um that is good casting that that is a good red herring i think that that is actually really well done yeah. What is not well done. Especially because the idea, they actually talked about this. Uh, the idea was not so much that people would, uh, because uh, Emma Caulfield and Jack Schaefer, who's the writer uh, and showrunner of this show, mm. um, have worked together before. So that was one of the reasons why she brought her in. But because uh, she was very excited about the idea of having her play this like mean girl esque, like, yeah. you know, stepboard wife person who's like in charge of the neighborhood but in the end she's just like a scared mom who's just like you know maybe mm. our kids could be friends if you let us go like yeah, yeah. that she's not Todd. like that at all yeah. that that is a character wanda was forcing her to play in a way mm, mm. yeah which I, I think is interesting i think it's really well done and it, it's great casting because like we've said you know the fact that she has a history of playing certain characters and they're playing against type there um my issue with Evan Peters is that they've knowingly cast somebody who has played a alternate version of Quicksilver in the role of Quicksilver. And they even made the joke, uh, which was brilliantly performed by Kat Dennings, where she said she recast her brother. Um, mm-hmm. when, when you cast somebody in the way that they cast Evan Peters... And then, in the final episode, revealed that actually he has nothing to do with her whatsoever. He's not an alternate reality version of her brother, even. He's literally just a dude that happens to have a face that looks somewhat familiar to people that are watching the TV show. I think, honestly, that that is cheap. And they well, shouldn't the, have well, gone there's there. There's a reason that they did that. And I it's know for what... the audience. Because they made the point of saying, like... Even though he looked different, you wanted to believe that it was him, right? Yeah. And they made the point. We wanted the audience to believe it was him too. We we wanted them just like Wanda to think maybe this is her brother in some way. And the best way to do that was to cast Evan Peters because <sighs> you wouldn't buy it if it was anybody else. I, I still think it's, it's that, pretty – If it wasn't Aaron Taylor Johnson, it had to be Evan Peters or you would have not – you never would a hundred years would have believed it. I I still think it's it's pretty cheap of them to be honest. Um, 
I don't know. It just it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. That's one of the few things that does leave a bad taste. Well, I, I, think, I just the think problem that my the thing that I think the big problem is is that uh, I the show had more of him that got cut. Yeah. At the end, where I think after the Puka necklace comes off, you get more of that character, mm. and they cut it. That and... wouldn't have made any difference, to be honest with you. For how I feel, because what what they've what they've done is they've knowingly egged the the viewers along, and not in a, a good way. To be honest with you, it just feels like they yeah they know what our expectations are. They know that when we see Evan Peters with everything that everyone's suspected about WandaVision and what it's going to lead into, that this could very well be the first of many characters to cross over from one reality to another. Um, and they've they've really played with people's expectations to 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 a degree which is I think unreasonable. Um, and and it's just I I don't know I just I I don't I don't think that the the problem is like in in many ways this is kind of similar to the main event at Revolution not so long ago where they <laughs> promised everybody an exploding barbed wire. Uh, a rope match, right? And at the end of the match... No, see, this is more like if they implied there might be an exploding barbed wire match. No, no. Well, let, let me finish. And then we got what, what they let, said. Let me, let me not finish. Not advertise. Let me finish, they didn't, let me finish. They didn't advertise that. That was something that you could infer based on other stuff. So you got your hopes up based on things around it, not what they specifically told you. I, I think that by showing us... Evan Peters literally dressed up as Quicksilver in the Halloween episode. The, yeah. And him saying that he's her brother. I, I think they're pretty much telling us at that point. I don't know. I don't want to labor the no, point. You but... inferred that. If you didn't know, if you didn't know that there was going to be multiverse of madness coming, let's say you didn't know that title, right? Yeah. Would you have thought. I guess maybe you would have. Of course I would. Of course I would, because they've literally cast. They've literally cast the only other man on the planet who has ever played a live-action Quicksilver in a story where his his actual sister is a main character, and she apparently has reality-bending powers. Like, what am I supposed to think? That that he might be the actual that he might actually be her brother which yeah. is the point that's why they did it and then they ripped it I'm away saying. and then Story they wise, they wanted you to think because it's not true it's wanda it's more of wanda wanting to believe things are real that aren't real because it's better for it makes her feel better if her brother isn't really dead that he's here even though it doesn't make sense even but though this reality doesn't make any that, sense that, that's fine that's fine make her feel better cast literally anybody in that role and have her believe it but then you don't you have to suck her in. You don't have to suck her in the public. No, that's the whole point of that. a show. You need to feel the same way that the character does. But look, if I'm, you didn't feel that that same way, then it wouldn't have been as interesting. We, it wouldn't have been as good of a story if you knew from the beginning that he wasn't really uh, he wasn't really Quicksilver. We we spoke earlier about the fact that Marvel builds up goodwill, and I think with this particular decision, they are starting to lose a little bit of that goodwill. And I don't think it's by any means a disaster. I, I completely disagree with you on this. And I think that's that totally it's, fair. I, I had no ill will towards this because I understand the thing that I had ill will about 
is that I wanted more of him in the episode, which well, that's, supposedly that's the other going pro- to be That's there the other problem with that particular... I think if I would have gotten to see who this person actually was, maybe I wouldn't have felt... Uh, which, again, I didn't really care. But the thing that I felt cheated out of, of like, I, to me, I was like, there are... My problem with the finale was that there are multiple characters in the finale that I think were not in it enough when they should have been based on it being the finale of the show that I just watched Mm. where people like um, Darcy Lewis was a main character and um, Evan Peters character was important to the plot and they weren't there at the end of the show. Kat Dennings completely agree. Um, and that's a, and that's mostly, I think, a COVID thing, and also that they shot a sequence that they ended up deciding that they wanted possibly, to cut, yeah. which I think would have tied a lot of things together. Well, <laughs> I mean, was... the the, tie, the tying tying loose ends up. I'm not too worried about because, yeah. like, again, like you you do get the gen, genuine feeling, especially with the uh, with the ending. Uh, there's one of the the ending coders with Monica where she goes into that theater and the agent reveals herself to be a scroll and basically says, look, there's somebody up there. Do you want to talk to? And it's very obvious who it is. It's Nick Fury. Like, right. It, it's but very like, obvious that we're going to get more loose ends tied up with her and him meeting and, and potential. I don't mean, I don't there. mean loose ends, like in a reality sense. I mean, mm. like the show, one of the, the B plot of the show was the relationship between Darcy, Monica and Jimmy Wu. Yeah. And those three are not in the finale together, even though, you feel like they're supposed to be. And the reason why is yeah. because of COVID. Yeah, but I, and they I, weren't able to film the ending of the show that they had originally written. But I wonder if... And you can if, tell that it doesn't feel right at the end, that there's stuff that's missing from it. I, I wonder if we're going to get some more of that in other stuff down the line, whether it be other TV shows or maybe even, you know, I, I mentioned the fact that Spider-Man and uh, Doctor Strange are going to be entangled in all of this. You you may very well find that they have cameos in that that further explain certain things. One of the, the I'm I'm not talking I'm talking about the relationship between those three characters was an important part of this show. Yeah, and I and 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 they did not have a scene at the end of the show together, which I think the show was missing at the end of the day. Mm. I think this specific yeah. show. I don't care if they show up later. I'm saying that the finale of this show was missing a scene where those three people interacted with each other. I, I definitely and felt like I was missing got, something. And, and it was also missing yeah. to me seeing who Ralph Boner really was underneath that Puka shot necklace because they imply and now you're going to see that. And this stuff was filmed and they took it out because uh, they decided narratively it was more important to focus on on Wanda's story, which is fine. Yeah. But I felt like that was the stuff to me that was, that I was like, there is stuff that was a part of one division, the show mm. that I felt like, because they didn't end up putting it in the show either because they couldn't shoot it because of COVID or they did shoot it and they decided to cut it. That felt missing at the end that I, that yeah. that was the stuff that I was missing. in the add, show. Add to my frustrations. The fact that we, <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. Not, not only do they rip the Quicksilver, thing out from under everybody's feet but then they they do what you've said which is they don't flesh out who he is as a character but the one thing that we do get is a fucking dick joke it's not a dick joke seriously it's a sitcom joke please explain it to me there's a character on growing pains whose name was boner that was was the reference 
Right, okay. Anyone outside of the United States listening to this ever heard of Growing Pains? Let me know. I don't know, but that was one of the inspirations for the show, and the director was on that show as a kid, so it was like a it was a callback reference to to Growing Pains. Okay, that was because what to was. to to anyone outside of the US who's never heard of Growing Pains, that's a dick joke. That is a please don't laugh at my name joke. That's what that was. He laughed at it. He thought it was funny. <sighs> I that laugh. was a dick joke. When he when yeah. he laughs at it, it's a dick joke. But um, I think the name, the reason why that's his name is because that was the name of a character in Growing Pains. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah. have they actually said that, or is that just yes, something? Yes, said that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, what I, yeah, this I, was something that I thought was interesting, though, based on that, because people pointed this out as like an Easter egg, and it was an interesting Easter egg. But people pointed out that in the Halloween episode where the whole thing is kind of about how it's weird that it's like Evan Peters, right? Mm. Uh, and they're both Quicksilvers. And there's a there's a a, uh, a beat where um, her kid says kick ass. Yeah. And then she goes kick ass. <laughs> and everyone was like, oh, that's such a funny joke because Evan Peters and Aaron Taylor Johnson were in kick ass. And Matt Shackman was like, that we didn't think about that at all that was the point of that line was just supposed to be like he's a bad influence on the kids and they're swearing now we didn't even think about that (laughs) (laughs) that they were both in that movie yeah no that was that that was a great moment um yeah i i love her acting in in the halloween episode uh there's something very light about her which you don't really see in any of the other episodes um she's very kind of physical comedy um it's brilliant like there's a clip that keeps being used in pretty much everything i see that's discussing this show outside of the actual show itself and it's the moment where she comes down the stairs she's in the um the scarlet witch like the you know the og scarlet witch costume and um she does this thing with her eyes at the same time as doing these little hand movements yeah and it is the most adorable thing i've ever seen in my fucking life and i want to marry her every time i see her do it it's the nose scrunch so too. Whenever she does the nose scrunch. Oh God, yeah, that's just Very it's so cute. cute. It's so cute, and and like many people, until <laughs> right now, I did not know that she was related to the Olsen twins. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that that's a fact which I was not aware of. Uh, yeah. I never even thought about the fact that she had the same name. I was just like, okay, which, ad, which adds Olsen. another fun little meta layer to this whole thing. It does. Like, it does with the Olsen twins having their own little kind of sitcomish kind of show and. Yeah. Oh, it's mad. It's mad how much how how so they're still really successful because of their fashion lines and shit. But yeah, goddamn, she came out of nowhere and just blew them both out of the water, right? Like yeah. she is definitely I, the best actress. Oh yeah, and she and I think it's very exciting. I'm I'm excited about how much ownership she feels over this character and how and how excited she is about storylines like mm. that could come up. Like there's a lot. There's videos that like not only do they have the video of her explaining the backstory and the House of M stuff. She's talked about how she wanted to do this stuff so bad. She was yeah. like, I've always wanted to get into that story and, and explore that more. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about this show is that it's its reference point is um, it's an original, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll borrow a name or borrow a plot from like a run of comics. This show is like kind of an amalgamation of like um, there's a vision comic uh, that uh, I want to say I want to say Tom King wrote um, that's 
based on on the idea of Vision having like a family in the suburbs. There yeah. is actual comics about Wanda and Vision in trying to live a life in the suburbs. Uh, and then there's House of M and like all of these things kind of like form together to create this storyline. And I mm. think it's uh, I think it was really cool the way that they kind of created an original story out of like some really great comics on their own. I, I think that's one of the strengths of the um, the MCU is that they they know they, they've got a lot of deep knowledge of the comic books that a lot of these stories come from. And they're not afraid to pull from them. But at the same time, they're not beholden to keeping it. 100% um exactly the same as as the comic books that came before so that they're allowed to surprise you and delight you and and take you in different directions that you weren't expecting but at the same time more often than not they will do things which um both honor and surprise at the same time like that that's the key you know um Evan Peters aside I am a big fan of this show. Like, uh, if nothing else, the fact that they brought Kat Dennings back and gave her something to do—that yeah, that she's alone great in is it. Brilliant. She's I, fantastic. I, but I think you can tell in that final moment in the finale that she did not film that on set. <laughs> like, she was clearly not there for the finale, and they just tried to like make it work. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, sure, absolutely, absolutely. Which is that, that's is. my biggest part about the show because I I really think that I was like, there's stuff that feels like it it should be here that's not here, but. That was one of them. I thought she should have been in it more at the end because she was great in this. It felt disappointing. I, I did have a feeling of disappointment after it was all over because I, I felt like there was something that was missing from it. And I think it was probably spending more time with uh, Monica and uh, the FBI agent, Jimmy. Uh, it is Jimmy, isn't it? Jimmy Woo, yeah. Jimmy Woo. Um, I, I love the fact that he's perfected his magic that he picked up off of Ant-Man all those movies ago. I um, love the bit in the finale. See, this is another joke. That was one of the running bits is it's like Jimmy, Jimmy and Darcy specifically have just been like watching this sitcom that Wanda created. <laughs> They've kind of become fans of it. And uh, at the end he, he does the, he escapes out of the handcuffs, which is a magic trick. Mm. And then he goes flourish, yep. which is what <laughs> vision says. All the like, it's like his magic catchphrase. Uh, as he says flourish while he does it instead of just flourishing he says the word flourish See, i i thought that that was a reference to in ant-man where he said it's it's uh, he says something along the lines of like being able to do the trick is one thing but you have to do it with like a flourish or pizzazz or style or something i'm sure there was a conversation about that but i i might be imagining it and just putting it in there but i did like the that, flourish that's why I, I thought it was just a reference to this show because that was what vision says whenever it he may did be a magic both. trick in the magic show he goes yeah flourish it may, it may well be both i'm not sure but that yeah i forgot about the the magic uh, show <laughs> within wandavision that's great as well her pulling his that's ass out the so fire funny. so many times very Paul clever. Benny needs to do more fucking comedy. He is so funny. He is a brilliant comic actor. He does actor. not do enough comedy. He is a brilliant comic actor. Um, there's not many things that I can point to, but one of them is A Knight's Tale. He is fantastic in that. Well, he that's what he... I've listened to some interviews with him around this, and I think it was really interesting that he he basically said... And we got to talk about the the one thing that he did during... The, you know, we talked about the appointment viewing nature of this show and people mm. speculating for weeks how much he trolled everybody. At I, the end of that's another one that I didn't mind. I did not mind no, that I thought it was hilarious yeah. once I realized what it was. And once I went back and watched it, I was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, but, but 
Paul Bettany basically said he was like, I did I did a Knight's Tale, and I, and that was like the only time I really did comedy. And then I did a romantic comedy after that called Wimbledon, which is how he met John Favreau. I was going to mention Wimbledon. Iron Man, so it, yeah. it all kind of comes full circle. Mm. But then he had like a demonic priest phase of his career. Oh, prophecy like, or whatever it was called, yeah, or Legion, I think maybe it was it was it was, it was Legion. Yeah. It was uh, what, what's the the Ron Howard movie, The Da Vinci Code. It That's was right. The self-flagellating monk. Oh, who could yeah, forget? Priest was another one. Like he did a bunch of like the like weird, creepy, like religious guy things for a while. <laughs> and he was like, I did that for a while, and then I was doing the voice for for Iron Man, and then I thought my career was over, and then I got to be in the movie, <laughs> and then I did this. And he was like, I think in the making of documentary, he says. Doing the live sitcom in front of the audience, he was like, I felt like I'd missed out my entire life. I, I should have been doing sitcoms the whole time because it's mm. so much fun. He's like, this is the best thing I've ever done. He's like, I love doing stuff in front of an audience. And this is like such a different, amazing thing. And he's so funny. Yeah. And he's you like, could I should have been doing this the whole time. I'm like, yeah, you honestly kind of missed your calling. Mm. And the thing that I want to come from this is both of them are extremely talented actors but they're also really funny and really good at like doing these sitcom styles like i was always impressed by how well they were able to adapt to them yeah i i do hope that we see both of them in more comedic roles because they've both absolutely proven that they have the chops for it um him especially i i i've always enjoyed watching paul bettany in whatever he does uh, I remember. I'm. I'm just going to check his bio so I know that I'm definitely not uh, confusing him with someone else. Um, I am confusing him with someone else, so I'm not going <laughs> to mention what I thought he was in. Um, but yeah, I. I think that he could definitely forge himself a bit of a career in in comedy going forward. Um, yeah. He's going to be very busy should. with Marvel because, as we know from watching all nine episodes of WandaVision. Uh, mm -hmm. He is resurrected. Um, and now he's bright white, squeaky clean. Mm -hmm. And definitely not the ship of Theseus, which was, that yeah. That was really cool. I don't know if you've seen the memes, but um, yeah. so somebody posted a picture of Wanda and Agatha going at it, magic blasts left, right and centre. Uh, mm -hmm. Meanwhile, underneath is a picture of the two visions and one of them says, the ship of Theseus, and the other one says, Yes, <laughs> that's literally yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> I love, I love when White Vision goes. I request elaboration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so good, so good. The moment that his eyes turn clear, like like proper eyes again, rather yeah, than those electronic things. Again. Yeah, like I, I have my hopes. Like uh, again, looking at the comic books, the uh, the White Vision when uh, that was a thing. Um, he retained the memories of the vision, but he didn't have the emotional capability. And so in that particular storyline, he stayed with Wanda, but it was very clear to both of them that there was no romantic feelings between the two, at least from his point of view. He was eventually able to uh, get back those uh, emotions. And I believe he turned back to the traditionally colored uh, red and green and yellow vision and that was kind of the end of that but um, yeah. it will be interesting to see where they go with that and whether or not he figures into um, either of the films that are coming up um, yeah I think that that's probably what, what ends up happening is at some point he'll 
he'll be back, but I think it is like as of right now, he has the memories but doesn't have the emotional like connection mm. to them. They're just mem- they're like data to him. Yeah. Uh, they also said that they shot a scene that they cut where just the two of them see each other after like when he after he gets his memories back. Uh, Wanda and White Vision see each other, and mm. there is like this look from Wanda where it's like kind of clear that she's like, oh, I like know you remember, but like you're not the same person I remember. Yeah, I mean, I I think looking at what she's able to do now, and the fact that she was able to physically manifest a version of, of the Vision, um, essentially using the fragment of the Mind Stone that's within her, because she is a living embodiment of the Mind Stone at this point, there is an argument to be made that she could potentially manifest another version of the Vision and meld him with the white vision that is now alive and kicking and Mm -hmm. potentially imbue him with what he's missing. And maybe that's something that will be part of the storyline of multiverse of madness, or I I don't know, but certainly I, I think that Agatha is going to be instrumental in that particular part of the vision story. Um, it's also interesting that in the final credits, he's he's credited as Vision and The Vision. Uh, Vision being the name of his character within the sitcom and The yeah. Vision being the kind of inanimate object, android, emotionless version of him. It is kind of yeah. interesting that they had both versions credited there rather than just having him as Vision or The Vision. Um, they they yeah. felt that they needed to uh, make a, a clear delineation between the two there, but man, it's it's a good show. I know there's plenty that we haven't even touched on, but mm-hmm. it's getting late and I'm getting knackered. Um. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> do, do do you know that the the scene that I was talking about the the scene that they cut, the sequence that they cut in the, at the end? Um, I'm not entirely sure. No, I've not really looked into scenes that that may have been cut or anything like that. I kind of once I'd finished the last episode, I've just kind of sworn off of watching any more analysis or yeah, or, you know, I, I'm done. I may very well watch that um, documentary one that they've put on. Oh Disney yeah, Plus, though, because that sounds and I think very it's, worthwhile. It's cool seeing the, especially the the 50s stuff I think is really cool or mm, we're mm. listening to Kristen Anderson Lopez and, and uh, Robert Lopez talk about the songs the that music. they yeah. wrote which I, was I, a lot of fun I definitely got the feeling that the special effects in that 50s episode were of the era like they had that yeah. feeling of fly by wire which you can't really replicate even with CGI there's something about it you don't have the right weight to yeah. those props and the fact that he was willing to allow a plate to be smashed into his head in real yeah. life that that is wonderful uh, the line yeah. my wife and flying saucers just yeah. absolutely superb brilliant 50s yeah. punnage and the the special effects were so great uh, it was a lot of fun mm. watching them do that old school like area appropriate like um special effects and stuff like that uh and then so anyways so i've been listening mo- not so much analysis here and there a little bit but i've mostly been really interested in listening to the people who made the show, like like the actors and um, Jack Schaefer and, and Matt Shackman, talk about the um, about the show and making it and what it, what they were going for. Because I always think that that just adds like a layer to it. That I I think I, it's easier to interpret. Like oh, once you know, okay, so this is what this is what the point was. Um, 
But one of the things that Matt Shackman said that they shot and cut because they wanted the focus. They thought it kind of pulled attention away from the Wanda storyline too much at the end. So they cut it. Mm. They shot a sequence where um, the uh, Darcy, Monica, Ralph, and the boys um, realize that they're like, oh, maybe we can get the Darkhold from Agatha's basement because they saw it when they were down there. And they're like, let's go try to get it because mm. maybe that, that'll help. And so they all go down into the basement and uh, Senior Scratchy uh, is guarding the book. And they're like, oh, yeah, Senior Scratchy. We love Senior Scratchy. And then he turns into a giant demon. And it's like a goody <laughs> sequence where he chases them throughout the basement. Oh, <laughs> and like this big action sequence. And I was like, that sounds like so much fun. I feel like if that was in the show, that I was think something... I'd, I'd have liked it so much more. <laughs> That was something that a lot of people speculated about because Agatha has yeah. a familiar who isn't called Senior Scratch. Uh, Senior Scratch is actually a play on the name of her son, who is essentially kind of like a, a demi devil, um, yeah. called called Mister Scratch. Think old, I, I think Old Scratch is a nickname for the devil. Too. It is, yeah, yeah. Which I think is exactly where it got they got it from uh, for his yeah. character name. Uh, but her familiar is a cat who can transform into a giant cat. So they've kind yeah. of conflated the two together to make a rabbit that can transform into a giant demon. <laughs> and yeah. I, I love that. I absolutely love but that. But they said they said it was like uh, Jack Shaver said it was very that, that the demon looked really creepy, and they were like, "Oh, it was a lot of fun." Little... And I'm like, "That sounds like that would have been great." And then you would have gotten to see a little bit more of Ralph. You would have gotten mm. a little bit more Cat Dennings in the finale. Yeah, like, I would have liked a I bit think more that horror. That would... I was disappointed that they didn't have that in it. Yeah, that's a shame. Like a little bit more horror would have uh, been very welcome because, uh, yeah. again, I keep mentioning Multiverse of Madness, but I, I think it's fitting because I think that this show is going to feed a lot into it. We've all, we already know that um, Scarlet Witch is going to be a main character in that movie. Um, mm-hmm. Marvel for a long time have been very much uh, unafraid of having a movie which is headed by one character and having it co-starring another one, whether it be Spider-Man with Iron Man, or whether it be um, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, and having Falcon being kind of like the 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 breakout hero of that movie. Uh, Civil War, of course, which was... People kind of forget that that wasn't an Avengers movie, even though it's called yeah. Captain America uh, Civil War. It is essentially like an off-brand Avengers movie. Um, yeah. And, and pretty much everyone's in it except for Thor and Hulk. Exactly. And like, you know, Captain America is the main character in that movie, but he gets equal billing, I think, with Iron Man um, in that regard. So, yeah, I, I think that that's definitely going to be the case that like we're going to get a lot more wonder in, uh, in in Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, and we're getting Doctor Strange and Far From Home. Are we? Not Far From Home, from uh, No Way Home. Yeah, he'll be in that. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense since they yeah. keep talking about this kind of trilogy uh, and this, this, this. I, I thought it was going to be clearer when One Division ended the way that the three were going to come together, but we're going to get Spider Man first, and I mm. think that that's going to be really interesting to see how that sets up. Well, I mean, yeah, Doctor Strange too. That that's one of the things where I was talking about how you know they have loose ends, and some of them I'm not fond of, and others I'm I'm actually not. I haven't got a problem with at all. One of them was the fact that. I I mean, we know that there is some kind of multiverse aspect coming to the MCU. Yeah. 
we all assumed, rightly or wrongly, that it was going to be coming at the end of WandaVision, that something in the way that she managed to finish the series up would open up some kind of gate to the other side. It didn't really happen, but what Mm. we've seen instead is that she has become fully aware of her powers, the fact that she was already um, magically inclined and that the Mind Stone only helped to boost those powers. Uh, And uh, so what what, what that is doing is it's setting her up for the moment where they do open up that gate. And I think that that is more than likely going to be at the very end of Multiverse of Mad. Is Multiverse the next movie to come out? No. It's not. It's Spider-Man, is it? Yeah, of the three, yeah. Spider-Man comes out in December of this year. All oh, right. So, well, I don't know then. Um. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it's really interesting. It's also really interesting that Far From Home takes place after WandaVision. Does it really? Yeah. Oh, of course Several it does. Because the time, yeah, actually. the timelines are completely screwy, aren't they? Yeah. So, because, um, yeah, because Wand- WandaVision, WandaVision takes place takes literally place right, right after. after Endgame, yeah. which is like late 2023. And yeah, yeah, then yeah. Um, Far From Home takes place summer 2024. It's really lucky that they set the movie so far ahead, given that we've lost a year. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like they knew what was going to happen. And then there's going to be, I think No Way Home is going to have some time jumps because No Way Home takes place around Christmas time too. Yeah. Okay. Which is interesting. Yeah. But, so uh, I, but I, yeah, I that Spider Man's gonna be next in this little this little saga of the, the whatever this multiverse thing is that they're doing. Sure. And and then you have the finale in Multiverse of Madness, which there was a couple of things, and I don't think too many people mentioned this, but I think it's really interesting. So Sam Raimi is directing Multiverse of Madness. Hmm. And that end sequence, there's there's two things that I thought were or yeah. Three things that I would say I thought were really interesting at the end. One is that as it zoomed in on her, like astral projecting at the end, um, it was the it was a slowed down version of the Doctor Strange theme song that was playing in the background. Mm. So that was a fun way to kind of set up that that was coming. Yeah. And then the other two things is that we know Sam Raimi is directing Multiverse of Madness, which is kind of like going to be the finale that is set up here in WandaVision. There's uh, the movie marquees that is in the town um uh the cornet as it says uh the marquee has oz the great and powerful which is a sam raimi movie listed in the 70s episode that's the movie mm. that's playing at the theater yeah yeah and then at the end of the movie or at the end of one division i thought that the shot at the end it was it was similar it reminded me a little bit of the shining but it also reminded me of Gab- or, uh, uh evil dead <laughs> Because it's like this long camera shot into a cabin. Yeah. And it looks just like Evil Dead. Yeah. And remembering, of course, Sam Raimi's connection to the original Spider-Man movies that came out at the beginning of the 2000s. Um, Right. Exactly. And that ties in Far From Home. Yeah. And I'm wondering with the... Uh, No Way Home. Jesus. I keep... (laughs) With with the constant rumors of Tobey Maguire and um, Andrew Garfield being involved in some way, shape or form... Are we going to see Spider-Man involvement in Doctor Strange? And, and definitely. That um, would be awesome. And that would feed into the multiverse aspect. This is why I thought that uh, Doctor Strange would come first, though, because I I just assumed, and I'm guilty of assumption of a lot here, but yeah. I, I just kind of assumed that 
Spider-Man would rely on a lot of multiverse shit because of the fact that they're introducing potentially, um, certainly, two men that played Spider-Man into the film. Um, well, you know, I because the the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield thing is a rumor. Yeah, but it's confirmed that Alfred Molina and J.B. Fox are in it. It is, yeah. At which point you're like, well, yeah. they can't not so there's something happening <laughs> there's definitely crossover there it has there has to yeah. be crossover there it, it also makes me wonder if maybe the wandavision thing with evan peters is like a double bait and switch where it's like we wanted you to think it was him it definitely isn't him but we are definitely still bringing him in you know yeah and that might be the case i definitely think that either even if it's not specifically x-men or evan peters that that is supposed to be like they wanted they did want you to like think that i think that was supposed to be a red herring that it was actually him from another multiverse but that was not something that they like advertised that was something that you could just put together based on the movies that were coming out that added like to the confusion of what might be happening i i Um, I still very much dislike it but i will at least accept that that was their intention and but uh, it was great to have evan peters in the show i thought he was was, yeah no he was brilliant especially when he was doing his fonz impersonation in the first episode that he appeared (laughs) yeah i i think that the halloween episode might be my favorite one of the whole season series because i think pretty sure that it is mine as well yeah because it's it had everything that I liked about WandaVision. I thought it was a spot on version of Malcolm in the Middle. Like I thought it had Evan Peters who was crushing it in most of the episode and had the Darcy, Jimmy Woo and Monica stuff, which I liked. Mm. And like, it just kind of, it had the, the creepiest commercial. <laughs> out of all of them. <laughs> was that the one with the shark and the yogurt? Yeah. 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 That was pretty brutal to be fair. It's, I yeah, wasn't it was expecting it to creepy. end the way that to it me, did. That was like the most fun. Yeah. Uh, that was the most fun like episode. Like mm-hmm. I'll watch that every Halloween, I think. Cause yeah. I could like, if I want to watch a WandaVision, I'm probably going to go with that one because I think that's just like, it got a little bit of everything and it was a really fun. Um, Wouldn't and, blame you. What was the other thing I was going to say about this? About the um, Oh, so we find out that I th- believe in that episode she was doing a crystallized crystalline possession, which I don't know how much that meant he was being himself or how much or, or that if Agatha was controlling I him. I think that means that she controls his auditory senses as well as his like ability to speak. Essentially, he's a puppet. Exactly. Like she's doing so, to him what um, Wanda is doing to the entire town. Right. So we essentially find out that that Agatha was speaking it was Agatha for him all along. in that. Right? And <laughs> I love that. In that Such commercial, the shark uh, talks about snacking on your magic and then mm. turns the kid into a skeleton, more or less. Yeah. And that's what Agatha's power is. She's able to take the magic and she turns them into like weird skeleton things, right? Yeah. And in that episode, both Evan Peters and the shark say, little dude. Oh, I didn't even pick that up. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. Man, this is it's the sort really of stuff good. that you can go back and watch over and over again and you pick more stuff up. It's yeah, brilliant. I think the show is going to be way. I'm excited to like watch the whole season again. I think I'm, it'll be I'm really looking to forward to um to uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier now as well. Me too. Um, I'm... you know, and and then after that, of course, we've got even more stuff coming out with Loki and all that. Um, can can we just talk a minute about just what an absolute yeah. bop Agatha all along is? 
Oh, it's so good. I've already seen somebody remix it for uh, as a rap, and it is amazing. It's so yeah. good. I wish I could find it again. I've been looking for it, and I can't quite find it. But um, it's a great song. Um, I I know that, that Theron has been talking for a long time about just how good she is as an actress. Um, oh, she's great. Like, she's always good. She really is. Um, and like I, I, I'm completely on on board. Like Catherine Hahn, for anyone that doesn't know who we're talking about, her facial expressions are absolutely fucking priceless. And she's made a bit of a career out of being the rubber faced girl, you know. Um, yeah. But like her specifically, there are two in particular. The one when she's in the car with vision talking to her on the outskirts of the uh, of the city or the town sorry and the one when she's in the director's chair and she just kind of looks backwards and she just kind of like puts her finger up to her lips as though it goes shh don't tell anyone and then yeah. she just kind of turns herself back around just absolutely spot on she she is so good i liked i loved her in this entire show um it's a testament to her acting ability that when she kind of becomes the big bad, I was constantly thinking to myself, please don't be the big bad. I don't want you to die because all Marvel movies... Right. This is a problem that Marvel have. With the exception of Baron Zemo, I can't think of a single villain in the Marvel universe that hasn't been murdered. Justin Hammer's end. still alive. Oh, that's a good point. But Justin Hammer's a dick. Like he's not a threat. He can't even. I want to see Sam Rockwell back, though. They I, should I, bring yeah, him no, back. I like Sam Rockwell. Don't get me wrong. I would love to have Justin Hammer back, but he's not a um, threat, is he? He's just he's an arms dealer who can't build uh, reliable arms. <laughs> this is the problem that he has. Like, Grandmaster's still alive. Oh, well, hang on. From Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. Okay, yeah. Uh, who I'm trying to I'm trying to think back. I know. Oh, I know. I'm there's going to be exceptions. Movies. There are always going to yeah. be exceptions. But I'm just trying. I'm genuinely trying to think of the ones uh, um, that are still alive. But, 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 I'm, genuinely, but I'm excited to bring Zemo back too. That's one of the things. No, I'm absolutely. Excited about for Winter absolutely. But like, I, generally speaking, and I know I've spoken about this before on this very forum. I think I wish that Marvel would stop killing off all of their bad guys because yeah. you've only, you've got a limited number of villains, and like I I just I wish that they would keep them their options open so that they could bring them back. And I'm so happy mm -hmm. that Agatha was one of those rare examples where whether or not you believe she actually is a villain or a misunderstood kind of uh, shades of gray kind of character. Um, mm -hmm. She has the opportunity for redemption, but equally she has the opportunity to come back and, uh, and wreak havoc. Oh, um, the end of Dr. Strange, um, his mate. Oh, uh, Baron Mordo, and he'll be back. Baron Mordo. Technically, he wasn't a bad guy until the very end of the movie, but yeah. he is still a returning bad guy. So they, he'll he'll be in that movie too. He will be, of course. Yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing that as well. Um, I'm looking forward to. Uh, I mean, it's very obvious the fact that Scarlet Witch has the dark hold, and the fact that it's been pointed out many times that where in a scene in Doctor Strange, he goes over to the vault with all of the books that are locked up on the wall, and there's a book missing. And it's quite mm -hmm. clear that that space is where the Darkhold once was. Um, yeah, that so, makes a lot of sense. So it makes sense that either he wants to reclaim the book from her or she has learned all that she can from the book and she goes looking for him in order to expand her knowledge. 
And I don't know which one it is, but I'm perfectly happy for either one to happen. Uh. Yeah, and, and and I think that I, I think that having Agatha, I think that they they were like, we need to keep her around. I think, and I was so pumped when they were like, what if you need me? And she's like, I know where to find you. I'm like, okay, good. Mm. I think they'll bring her back at some point, and they should because she's fantastic in this show. And she, she really talked is. about knowing what the character was and reading about it that she was like trying to play it as someone who had the capacity to be a mentor, to be a mother, to be all the things that she was in the comics without mm, like mm. completely alienating that aspect to be the bad guy that she wanted to kind of keep all of those things alive in her performance. So I, I hope that they use her more. I think she's great. And I think she deserves to be in more of these things. No, she absolutely um, does. And uh, of course, something else that I found out while I was researching Agatha Harkness is the fact that she was actually the babysitter for, um the first of the fantastic fours babies um yeah. so when reed richards and uh is it sue i can never remember her sue name storm, yeah. sue storm when they get round to having sprogs there's the potential for her to pick up babysitting duties and um i i again like we know the fantastic four is coming we know that all of these things are in the works and the fact that they're building out this universe and they have a pretty decent history, as I've already mentioned, of respecting what happens in the comics while not necessarily being beholden to them. Um, yeah. it, it makes me hopeful that we are going to see a reasonable amount more of um, Agatha Harkness down the line. Oh, and here's here's something that I was, I was just thinking about because you talked about how uh, about the Evan Peters thing and that you're disappointed and stuff like that. Yeah. A, a lot of people felt that way in Iron Man 3 when it came to the ma the Mandarin. Yeah. Yeah. But in Shang-Chi... We're getting the actual We're Mandarin. getting the Mandarin, right? Yeah. We're getting the real one. So there's always a possibility that, yeah, we might have gotten Ralph Boner in WandaVision, mm. but maybe we do get... I, mean, I hope so. I do hope so reality. because I genuinely like. I know that people are quick to hate on that new X Men continuity, uh, like the first class continuity. I I don't know that many people have anything but good things to say about first class itself, but the movies. Uh, first class. Yeah, the the movies were a diminishing return uh, after that first one. That being and Evan said, Peters specifically was the one part that I never thought was diminishing returns, and absolutely. they and it's, they only used them sparingly in each one. Yeah, yeah, and and I was about to say that being said, genuinely, Evan Peters, if I could rescue one thing from that <laughs> entire universe, I think it would be Evan Peters, very closely followed up by Michael Fassbender, because I just want to see Michael Fassbender in everything, frankly. Um, yeah. I think he's that good. Hey, um, I mean, we're getting. I, I like that they they also are rescuing uh, 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 Oscar Isaac. Hey, fingers crossed. Well, I guess I don't know. I never saw it confirmed, but apparently Ethan Hawke said like he's definitely Oscar Isaac is definitely playing Moon Knight. That would be awesome. That's it's, brilliant it's, casting. He's, it's it's Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke is the bad guy on the Moon Knight show, and that that's happening. That that is that is a good bit of casting, and I know that Mark is going to be so excited <laughs> to finally be getting a, a Moon Knight show. Because my whole thing, my whole thing was like, oh, like I'm like I know we we know they are doing Moon Knight, and there was a rumor from credible sources, from like like Hollywood Reporter and stuff like that, like actual news sources saying Oscar Isaac was probably going to be playing. Mm. Um, Moon Knight, 
But then they did say that Ethan Hawke was going to be the bad guy. And then Ethan Hawke was being interviewed and he said that he's working with Oscar Isaac in Moon Knight. <laughs> so I was like, I guess that's enough. I guess that's confirmed. Add him to Tom Holland and um, I can't remember the guy that plays Hulk's uh, name. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Uh, joy- uh, he can join the Spoiler Bros fraternity. Spoiler squad. Spoiler squad. <laughs> fantastic well i mean i i um i think we we should probably uh wrap everything up now but um Definitely. yeah i g- genuinely i i know there's a few things uh about this show that are frustrating to me i will accept them and see how they play out because marvel have earned um my goodwill as i've said before um i i do wish that they had uh given darcy and uh jimmy and uh and monica a little bit more time to round off the series because as i said i think that final episode does feel like it's missing something Uh, i can't quite put my finger on it but it feels slightly unfinished and if that's down to covid then i think that's completely understandable yeah because i think that based entirely just from watching the show and context clues i think fred milliman who played mr hart uh Cat uh, and Evan Peters were unable to return for filming when yeah. they started up after COVID, and because they were missing from the stuff that was taking place in that like in that um, the backlot stage that mm-hmm. was like the mm-hmm. town square. Yeah, they were not around for those. That's and that, so that's yeah. my my theory is that they weren't they weren't able to get them back, and so they had to rewrite stuff. And that's unfortunate, but I, I think that considering all of that, they've uh, done a pretty yeah. decent job of uh, putting together something which hangs together really really well. Um, yeah, and, and I think the, the finale with great. specifically the story of Wanda and what she's going through, I think, mm. is like a a good through story, and I like that final scene with her and Vision. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, excellent show. Mm-hmm. Can't wait for the uh, the next serialized drama to come from Marvel, which will be Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And, I'm excited um, to see Daniel Brühl back. I'm excited to see yes. Wyatt Russell as uh, as evil government Captain America. I I could not be happier to know that Wyatt Russell is building himself a really successful little career like he is superb i i know he's not the greatest actor in the world no one's ever going to accuse him of that but i think he absolutely knows how to work a camera especially in action movies i've Um, liked him in everything i've seen him in he's great so i'm happy to see him in more things yeah like overlord for me was um kind of the breakout moment for him as an actor uh, I hadn't seen 22 Jump Street. He's great in 22 Jump Street. I haven't seen 22 Jump Street. Oh, I love it. It's one of those it's franchises great. in total that I've just never really got round to watching, but I should do at some point. But yeah, like I um, sometimes there are actors that turn up and you're like, oh, you have a famous name, and it's like you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Uh, mm. And then there are people like Wyatt Russell. Um, and I, I genuinely think that he deserves all of the success that he has had and all of the success that he's going to get because uh, I, I think he's a decent little actor. I think his dad's underrated as well, even now. Oh, I, yeah. I think that some of the stuff that, that uh, Kurt Russell has done through the years, 
is criminally underrated. And I know that there are movies that he's been in, like Big Trouble in Little China, which are cult classics and perhaps are overrated by some people. But I think the on balance, his complete work that he's done is it, it, it's sizable and it's of pretty decent quality as well. So uh, interesting that the the Russells are the first multi generational acting family, I believe, to appear in the Marvel universe. I can't think of right. any other examples. Me, neither. Answers on a postcard. So. Anyone that can tell us different. Answers on a postcard. Let us know. I'm gonna I'm gonna try really hard to see if I can figure this out without <laughs> looking it up. Not now. We're gonna end the episode now because we got. Yeah, sure. It's been a long episode. Sure. But I do. I'm gonna think about that. <laughs> I like that challenge. <laughs> but yeah, I, for right now, I think you might be right. So, any um, any further thoughts on uh, on Wandavision? I I think that. I'm I'm so happy that they chose to do something this weird and bizarre and out there and uh, that it turned out as well as it did is, I think, just a really exciting thing for Marvel going forward. And just knowing what they have coming up and the things that they're going to be doing, especially with these TV shows where a lot of them are going to be like adaptations of famous comic books. And a lot of them have really great actors in them. Um I'm pumped to see everything going forward and, and how it all going to shape up. I think there's, I, I, there isn't a Marvel project right now that I'm not super excited about some aspect of. And uh, this was a really fun way to kick off the TV era of Marvel because like winter soldier was supposed to be first, but I like that the first show ended up being about TV shows. Hmm. No, I think that's uh, that's as good a place as any to leave our uh, thoughts on WandaVision. So uh, it's been a while since one of these episodes has come out, and it'll probably be a while until the next one comes out. But uh, thank you to anyone that's listening. And um, maybe maybe a couple of weeks, maybe we'll talk we'll we'll talk Falcon and Winter Soldier when that wraps up too. That that would be cool. That would be cool. There there is going to be an issue as far as uh, where people are going to find these podcasts because the. Um, the hosting is due to come up and uh, I will not be renewing it. So uh, I'm going to find other ways to get our inane ramblings into your ears. But uh, until those are worked out, uh, rest assured that all of the episodes can be found if you search for them on archive.org. Just search for the BS cast and you will more than likely find them. Till next time, I've been Dave. I'm Tyler. And we will see you down the road.